Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to advance in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and Monique Marquez, senior corporate leader, ex-Googler, and diversity expert. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Brooke Skinner-Ricketts, and I'll be your host for today's episode. Jen DeGrossier has achieved many of her life goals, yet she has found her greatest success in helping others. A lawyer, award-winning financial service provider, wife, mother of three, and former Division I basketball captain, Jen is most proud knowing that she has motivated and inspired others to succeed. After practicing law for three years, Jen was drawn to financial planning as a way to make a positive impact on other people's lives. In 2001, she joined Ameriprise and discovered that her legal training provided her with insight into financial markets, tax ramifications of financial decisions, and financial planning strategies. She quickly distinguished herself as a top advisor. The coaching and motivational skills she learned as an athlete translated to business, and soon she was helping other advisors achieve similar success. Fast forward to today, Jen is now a partner at West Point Financial Group. She leads the investment department, compliance, practice development, and financial planning. She's also the owner of Comprehensive Financial Concepts, which is a property and casualty specialty company located in the greater Chicagoland area. Her experience as a CEO and general agent of Mass Mutual Illinois Agency helped propel her into her current role when three independent financial services operating as general agencies of Mass Mutual announced that they were to merge into West Point Financial Group. This created one of the largest insurance and wealth management firms in the Midwest. Relentless in pursuing her vision of being an inspiring leader, Jen seeks those who share in her core values of integrity, intelligence, work ethic, and inclusivity. Her top priority is to foster an environment where her team has the support, guidance, and tools necessary to succeed. In doing so, Jen has built a culture that values diversity, excellence, and collaboration. Her capabilities, both as a financial advisor and a leader, have won her the accolades of clients, company representatives, and industry expert. She's a cum laude graduate of the New England School of Law, and she received a Bachelor of Arts from State University of New York, Buffalo. She holds Series 7, 24, 66, 4, and 51 FINRA licenses. She and her spouse live in Glenview, Illinois, with their three children. Jen enjoys hot yoga, biking, cooking, and making memories with her family. I know you're going to enjoy this interview as much as I did. Please meet my friend, Jen DeGrossier. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Um, I would love it if, um, and I'll record an introduction later, um, but I would love it if you could introduce yourselves to us, including your name, to say, you know, hi, I'm Jen DeGrossier, and um, and just a little bit about yourself, uh, both personally and professionally. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Jen DeGrossier. And uh, just to give you a little bit of a flavor of my background and who I am, um, I live here in the Chicagoland area in Glenview, Illinois. I'm originally an East Coast uh, person. I grew, grew up in rural Vermont 
and left Vermont at the age of 18 to play Division I basketball at the University of Buffalo. Um, I think ha happens with a lot of athletes in college. We don't focus as much on what our career is going to be after college. So um, majored in political science and kind of by default went to law school. And pretty quickly into law school, realized um, it probably wasn't my passion. Um, but I finished up and I practiced for three years on the East Coast. And through a friend of a friend, um, was introduced to financial services and started as a financial financial advisor, uh, fee-based financial advisor in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, built a book of business. Um, also started doing some leadership training and leadership development um, and met who's now my dear friend and mentor, Doug Lenick, who's the CEO of a company called Think to Perform. And I'm sure that will come up as we chat today. Um, but he really got me interested in leading and developing and growing organizations. Um, and so I, uh, four or five years into running my personal practice, I sold my practice and I took an opportunity to lead an office with a with what is now Ameriprise Financial here in Chicago. Um, and that's how I got to Chicago about 17 years ago. Um, and since then, I've kind of grown as a leader. I ran the Ameriprise offices in the Chicagoland area for several years till about 2013, um, and then took an opportunity to take on more leadership responsibility, which was really exciting to me, and take over the advisor force for MetLife in the Chicagoland area. And I did that for about, I've led that group for about three years, and then the MetLife advisor group was purchased by MassMutual. So in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm a walking tail of the mergers, acquisitions, and sales of financial advisors. Um, so ended up uh, being purchased by MassMutual, and um, I became the owner and leader of that advisor group here in the Chicagoland area, about 175 advisors um, running holistic practices, um, loved leading the group, loved growing the organization, and was approached in January of 2020 to sell my business into a larger firm called West Point Financial. And so that happened at the beginning of 2020, and I became the chief experience officer with West Point. Um, we have a pretty large footprint of about 400 advisors throughout the Midwest. Um, and so I really get to spend my days doing what I enjoy doing, what I really enjoy, which is I love problem solving. I love really getting to know the people that I work with, um, leading them, developing them. Um, and I get to work with, I think, which is probably the biggest gift, really cool, smart you know, interesting people. Um, so I feel very, very thankful for that. Um, so that's where I am right now. And I'm a mom. I have three kids. My oldest is 17, a daughter. I have twins, a uh, son and a daughter that are 12. My wife, Monique, um, is a professor at Columbia College. And we are very consumed right now with uh leading leading our own family and uh growing our own kids into productive adults so <laughs> that's my story excellent excellent thank you 
Um, uh, I'm just going to start where you ended with um, what are the lessons that, because you've had so much experience leading big groups of people. And obviously like our children, one of the things I love about work is people respond to me differently. Like my kids don't listen to me at all and people take me very seriously <laughs> at work. Right? <laughs> so, But what are the lessons that you've brought from all of this incredible experience leading and managing um, mm-hmm. into your role as, as a mom? Oh, such a good question. Um, you know, I think I would go back to some things I learned, very fundamental leadership pieces that I learned working working through leadership development with Doug Lenick. And the first is, you know, really values-based leadership. So really, and that that applies, you know, in the business, as a mom, as a friend, you know, really figuring out what my core values are, what our family core values are, and then making decisions and really being very much in alignment with that. So, you know, that's an important piece of raising kids or, you know, what are what are the important values and are we living by that and are we making our decisions by that? And then I think the other thing that's been really, I think, great as a mom, and I'm probably much better at it as a business leader than I am as a mom, but... Um, <laughs> really understanding, you know, situational leadership and where people's readiness is on tasks, where their um, motivation is on tasks, and then applying the proper leadership technique to that. Um, I find it much easier to do that in the business (laughs) than with my kids. So that's that's been, um, you know, a a work in progress. But I think those two things are extremely transferable. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, can you tell me about, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a lesson or two that's guided you on on your journey? Oh, that is such a good question. Um, I think kind of one of the threads of probably lessons, two things, um, as I've kind of gone through this journey is one, really learning patience. Um and, you know, there's three kinds of intelligence. There's emotional intelligence, there's technical intelligence, and there's just your intellectual intelligence. And that patience really comes down to that emo comp piece. Um, and that's a really big lesson. Um, and that's one that I've, you know, had over and over throughout my career where the importance of really being able to you know, manage your emotions and stay clear-headed in times of you know, businesses getting sold and bought and merged and new different new leadership teams. Um, and I think that what goes hand in hand with that also is um, I just think of resilience. You know, um, I think in business, we all get knocked down again, knocked down a lot. And I think the hard reality is women tend to get knocked down more frequently. And whether that's a big knockdown, you know, a big disappointment, or just those little things that can happen on a daily, weekly, monthly cadence, um, I think having that resilience piece has been a lesson that um, I've learned in a lot of ways the hard way sometimes. Um, But, you know, kind of marrying that resilience and that emotional competency, I think are kind of the two lessons that kind of repeat themselves for me. Yeah. I, I feel like I learned the patience one weekly, if not daily. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> truly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you, what do you do when you get knocked down? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
That has changed drastically as I've gotten older. Um, I think when I was younger and I got knocked down, there wouldn't be a lot of forethought with it. It would just be kind of getting up and just kind of pushing yourself forward. Um, And I think that that's not a bad thing. Um, But I think when you do that repeatedly, it's absolutely exhausting. Um, So I think that's like why a lot of women, especially in my age demographic in our 50s, we're tired, right? We're tired because we've gotten knocked down. But we're where we are because we've gotten up and we've just kept going. Um, I feel like being now in my 50s, I feel like I'm trying to put a lot more thought into that. Um, And realizing when you get knocked down, it is important to take care of yourself. It is important to, you know, I'll go to, I'll go to, it might be as simple as going to a yoga class. Um, Yesterday, I took an hour break and I went for a walk, you know, just things like that, that I would have never done in my 30s or even 40s. And I think those are just that repeated lesson because it's not a sprint. It There still is a marathon left and you have to have that energy to be able to keep being resilient. Yeah, that's such great advice. Um, what would you say, <coughs> excuse me, if someone asked you what your superpower was, what would you say? Yeah, I love that question. Um It's so funny because my youngest daughter um, is super, super hyper competitive. And I always tell her, make your superpower your competitiveness, um, because that's what I feel like I've done. You know, um, it can also be a curse being super, super competitive because it tends to lend itself to not being patient, having to work harder to be emotionally competent. Um, but you know, for whatever reason, um, I'm just kind of geared that way with that hyper competitiveness. And I, um, that with it, with a nice dose of, um, of stubbornness, which I thank both of my parents for, um, I, I feel like is a little bit of a superpower when used properly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing when we were, when you guys were over and like just observation about Riley, she's also so dedicated. I mean, like competitive in the sport that she plays, but oh my gosh, like she's playing all the time, like completely mm-hmm. absorbed in, in the challenge. So I, yeah. I wonder if she gets that from you or if that's, if that's very, right. very geared competitively. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a good trait. Um, <laughs> Awesome. Did you, and it sounds like you learned pretty early that you wanted to be a leader um, or that leader was, leadership was something um, that was interesting to you. When you think about kind of like, I mean, your path is really interesting because you came from rural Vermont, you know, mm-hmm. to uh, division one, which is not rural. Buffalo is not, you know, huge, but yeah. it's, it's a lot bigger too. these, you know, massive corporations and massive cities. Right. Mm-hmm. Um how did that like was that always exciting did it feel like how how just how how was that sort of like opening uh and shift for you um because it's yeah. um you know it was good going to buffalo which is an enormous school um it was good though because i was on the basketball team so i really kind of got this opportunity to have a, com- a small community where i belonged and i could feel safe, but also have this whole other campus and community available as I slowly 
created a comfort level to be able to do that. Um, you know, I didn't even leave campus for my first three years at Buffalo. Um, I would have literal anxiety dreams about getting from one side of the campus to the other and navigating just the basics of that. Um, but I think because of that interesting dynamic of being on the team, but having being stretched all the time, it did make me really comfortable in a big, you know, a lot of things going on environment. So, you know, when I went to law, when I left Buffalo and I went to law school in Boston, by that point, I felt very comfortable. I loved being in a place where there were you know, lots of different people and diversity and, you know, intellectual stimulation all over the place. Um, and then that led into financial services, you know, so I, I'm, I think, and also that, that uh, the background of being an athlete, I think helped me also acclimate to all that complexity um, and having a lot thrown at you, um, you know, cause then I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this, a lot of us grew up in really small towns. You know, my town had 2000 people and one blinking red stop light. I mean, I was extremely overwhelmed when I went to college. Wow. And by the way, ill prepared for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody really talked about like, what was going to, what was that going to look yeah. like? And yeah, I mean, do you do that? That, that's a dynamic which I say um, first generation corporate a lot because one of the things that strikes many people, particularly women and people of color, is just not having the foundational networks, the foundational language, the navigational skills, which is what yes. we've done and beyond barriers. And, um, you know, what it means is you have to work twice as hard to go half as far, right? Whether that work is from anxiety, whether that work is just trying to piece it all together, or whether it's like work, work, it just might take you a little bit longer. And with all of the work being done in DEIB and, you know, I don't know how, like, I, I don't see a lot of attention on that piece of the puzzle, those navigational skills, yeah. how sort of control for the fact that um, it's it's the equity piece, right? People start out at different, at different points. And so mm -hmm. having, I feel like having that understanding as a leader is probably extremely valuable to the people that you lead, like mm -hmm. just having that lived experience. You know, and I was given some very good advice early on, um, you know, because early on in my career, we, you know, they did all the personality tests and I figured out my personality was much more introverted. Um, so when I am in a corporate setting, I'm at a big meeting or I'm in a big conference, my natural go to is to try to get out of there as quickly as possible, right? Because the, I'm naturally introverted. I'm getting my energy from within. It's, it's uncomfortable for me, right? So the advice that I was given, which was I still follow it to this day, is to just always have a plan and be very strategic um, about who in that room I want to interact with, who do I want to have meaningful conversations with, who am I going to follow up with afterwards, and this kind of stick to that plan. And I think over time that's helped because it's allowed me to really, when I'm in those settings, think about who do I need to connect with? You know, how am I going to follow up with just a small group of people to make those connections more meaningful? Yeah, that's excellent. Um, I, I think that that's really important advice. It's awesome that you got it so early. Um, mm -hmm. 
You mentioned community and how important that's been or that was to you in college. Can you tell me a little bit about community as you've grown in your career um, and what that looks like and how you've um, nurtured or, or, you know, included that? Absolutely. Um, And I think community has been, you know, in a corporate environment. Um, Quite frankly, I think it's really, really hard as a woman. And I think we all know that. I think because I've been doing it for so long, I have this extended work community or corporate community from all the different places that I've been and keeping touch in touch with a handful of people everywhere, which is what, um, which is really how I consider my community. Um, whether people have left or gone other places, you know, trying, trying to keep that, that circle tight. But I think, you know, community develops over time because you have common interests and you have common activities that you want to do together. And so, you know, if you're in a mainly male dominated space, sometimes it's a little bit harder to make those connections and make that community. But I think, you know, at least for me, I've just tried to, when I do have a good connection with somebody and I know we're, we're on the same page, I really try to make an effort to stay in touch with that person and even, you know, introduce them and they introduce me to other people that are part of that, that bigger community. So I feel thankful that there's been a lot of really smart, powerful, successful women that have done that with me. Um, and I feel like at this stage of my life, I'm starting to get to that point where it's my turn to do that for other people as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Um, and I've had, a, I've had similar experiences. Um, and one of the things that we find in working with women, we, um, communities, actually the attribute in our momentum metric where we see the most improvement. And which is a little bit counterintuitive because people assume that women have these amazing communities and we're really good at community, which is generally true. But we so very, very rarely leverage our community. <laughs> like we're yeah, good at helping, right. but we don't ask for help, right? And we don't put yeah. it out there. And so, um, so that's the pivot point, and that's why we see such a shift in in community scores, which is interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah. So you um, went down one path and good for you for finishing law school, even though you knew you didn't want to do that. Um, When you think about like, and it seems like you've just sort of progressively gotten more clear, you know, and focused on, on your path and what's right. Um, What do you think the key is to, to gaining that clarity? Like how, how did you get there? Was it trial and error? Was it falling down and getting back? What, you know, what were the the keys to that for you? Um, I think I would go back to that real values-based piece um, and staying really clear on your personal values. And my personal values over this career have shift have only shifted twice. Um, so my three core values are health, family, and integrity. Um, I tend to operate in clusters of three. Otherwise, I get unfocused. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of definition within those three. Um, several years ago, um, I always put family above health. Um, and I had to make a fundamental shift because I just was not healthy. I was not taking care of myself. I was not doing the things I needed to do. So that was, that was one of the, one of the big, big, big shifts. Um, and I would say now I'm in one of those shifts as well. Um, 
And I haven't quite landed on what what the next like decade is going to look like for me. But I feel like um, after, you know, growing a firm, selling my firm, now being in this chief experience officer position, it's really a time to kind of think about, okay, what does the next decade look like? And I've been spending a lot of time thinking about that. and, And am I living in alignment with the things that are really important to me. Um, so I'm in that, I'm in that, um, in that process right now. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, th- I feel like you're an example of someone who people from the outside would look and say, well, she has it all right. Like she has this amazing <laughs> career. She has this beautiful family. She's got kids who are thriving, um, you know, full rich life. Um, well, how do you respond to that? Like, what does that, what does that feel like when I say that? Does it feel accurate? Does it feel, um, Yes, I I feel like a lot of that is very true and resonates really well. Um, it's probably just how I'm geared, you know, kind of goal oriented, competitive, um, and I just I I feel like it's always important to push yourself, you know, and what what's the next thing going to look like? So yeah, this looks really great. Um, I also think it could be even greater. Um, I just kind of, I, I know it can be greater and I probably will always think that I will always think like, what else can, what else can we do better? Um, and that's kind of, kind of that point. And, you know, my kids are, um, you know, 17 and the twins are 12. So, you know, we were talking about this before, there's still so many things that are, you're coming up and you're working through it, but also more of that, like, I just walked 20,000 steps today and never left the house because I'm running after, literally physically running after my kids. Like, that's not where I'm at anymore. So that also frees up some time to say, you know, what, what, what is this going to look like? And am I living in alignment with what's important with me? And when I wake up, when my kids are in college, am I going to feel really good about what these last few years look like? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you've done or haven't done that like looking at Crosby, who's headed up the door soon, like, like that you would just say, you know, <laughs> not that, not that, you know, they listen to us when we say these yeah. things. <laughs> like, is there yeah. anything you would like, what would you, what do you just really want her to know from your journey? Yeah. Um, you know, that's so interesting. Um, I, you know, this, I lost my parents over the last couple of years pretty suddenly. And I went from somebody who like never cried. Like I really didn't cry. So like, I cry all the time now. Like, you know, I took Crosby to get her, her driver's license and she passed and I'm like in the car crying when she comes out, just the, the, the look on her face. Um, I've tried, I've been trying to be more, um, conscious of recognizing and really verbalizing how proud I am of my kids at the even smaller moments. And that's something that I, I want to do as much of before they kind of leave the house, because that's like what matters. Like you walk through this world and walking through this world without my parents anymore, I realize how much of that they did do and how impactful it was. Like, all those little moments where you had wins and your parents were there to encourage you, or maybe you didn't have a win, but it, if you looked at it differently, it could be a win. So spending that time, like encouraging them and really just embedding that how much 
I love them and I'm proud of them. Um, like that's a big deal for me right now. And and not that we, I haven't done that before, but I think I can do an even better job of that while in the last few years we have with them. Yeah. And now with Crosby, it's like one year. <laughs> She's out of here. <laughs> so crazy. So crazy yeah. to be back. I've, I've seen my friend, friends with kids who are older, like they, they never really leave, you know. Right. I hope that's true. Yeah. In in some way, right? I'm hanging on to that. Yeah. What if you could pinpoint the invisible ceilings limiting your success? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers so you can take action and gain unstoppable momentum to advance as a future ready leader. Well, that's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz will help you discover. You'll get your personalized score based on the 25 essential elements proven to accelerate success in the digital age, so you can understand what's holding you back and where to focus your efforts. The Beyond Barriers quiz is completely free and takes just a few minutes. Go to imbeyondbarriers.com slash quiz and take the quiz today. Do you have daily habits or rituals? I do. I have a lot of them. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, um, I do uh, a very pretty disciplined schedule of intermittent fasting. Um, I'm also very, very committed to sleeping a lot. Um, I personally need an above average amount of sleep, and I've known that for a long time. So, I'm very committed to an early bedtime and intermittent fasting. Um, I've also learned that um, I've also learned that it's important to, you know, read outside of your industry. So I read the, I read the New York times every day. That's like one of my rituals. So yeah, I have a lot of those health rituals that I've adopted into my schedule that I get very uncomfortable when I can't do them. Like yeah. when I travel or get off track, it it's, they're so embedded that it's like uncomfortable to not be doing them. Yeah. That's cool. Um, what techniques have you used when, uh, to help you make dif- difficult decisions or take a risk? Yeah, that's a good question. I, when I have big decisions in front of me, it goes back to a couple things. It's one is whatever decision I'm going to make in alignment with my core values. And um, I'm very goal oriented. So I always have personal and business goals in front of me. So I I compare it with that. And then I've also kind of call it my cabinet. You know, I have kind of this very small group of people that are either some are friends outside of work, some are friends that I've developed inside and work. And I really value their feedback. I value their perspective. I I don't make big decisions in a vacuum. Um, I really like to reach out to those people and and solicit their opinions. And that's that has been really helpful for me. I mean, ultimately, I'll make the final decision. But that input is, you know, when you've been friends with somebody for 20 years, you know, their input's invaluable and they and they can give it to you in a way that's not sugar coated, which not everybody's going to do that. Yeah. 
Uh, we t- and you hear a lot of people talk about it, and I have kind of a personal board or cabinet as well. Um, but how did you? How did you? How did those relationships turn from just friendship or you know just were whatever to um, you're someone who I'm going to go to when I make big decisions? It's a good question. I think it kind of evolved organically over time. Um, and then there's like three people in particular. We do it for each other, mm. and one of those people is not somebody somebody i met in college we've been friends since college and two of them are people that i've met along my professional career so you know when you're in the trenches with somebody and you kind of see all these things good decisions bad decisions you start comparing notes and you start figuring out you know who who shares my values but probably thinks about things a little bit differently than me, right? I don't want to talk to somebody that's just like me because I already have that exact perspective inside myself. So I would say just organically over time and being open to talking through things with people, you know, I'm very, I laughed the other day. I'm so Gen X, you know, I, I'll get two or three emails from somebody and I just can't help myself. I will pick up the phone. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and it's it's such an, you know, it, it, there's all these like funny videos on it out there. But the, I think that, you know, when you when you are working with people and you do pick up the phone and have meaningful conversations with people, these are the types of relationships that start start to get start to get cultivated that don't get cultivated when you're, you know, emailing or text messaging. It just it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's so important for especially younger women and everybody, you know, coming up in a hybrid work environment or even fully remote work environment. Do you have thoughts about how to, I mean, cause I used to just go like hover, I like just wander by people's desk who I wanted to, <laughs> to sort of be around yeah. like loiter um, and sometimes yes. go away and, you know, um, and picking up the phone is great, but like any thoughts about how do we, how do we continue to do that? Because like the tragedy would be if we have a whole generation of people without this, these relationships, right? So do you have I thought? know it's, you know, and I've been doing a lot of work with some of the teams that I lead on this of in this more of a, and, and there's a few people that are hundred percent remote, but mainly a hybrid environment, right? How do you effectively communicate with people and how do you develop those relationships? So I think you know, one of the things that my team and myself have all been working on is just being very intentional. You know, if we're having an offsite meeting and I know that I have three people coming in on my team that work 100% remotely, I did this at our last meeting. Um, we had a meeting in Chicago. The next day we had a meeting in Indy. I actually asked one of the guys who works for me who was in from Arizona, I was like, why don't you drive from Chicago to Indy with me? instead of renting a car and doing all of that. And I got, you know, three hours of really good quality time with him. So I try to really do that. Like whenever I am out and about trying to be very intentional about who who's not getting these opportunities and can we create some more, some more touches. And I also encourage people, if you're going to be in the office, make sure all of your meetings are in person ask people to come in, take them to lunch, buy them a cup of coffee, like say, Hey, I know you don't normally come in, but I'm going to be in Mm -hmm. because otherwise it just, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. 
That's so important. Um, and I feel like it's the whole field of management, right? <laughs> that that's emerging. And it's something that we really we work hard to include in our curriculum as well, because it's um all the things that matter, you know, are shifting the way that we the way that we go about them. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Um I just want to touch on fears or limiting beliefs. Like you're an incredibly confident person (laughs) so much. Like what, um, what's held you back and how, you know, how'd you overcome fears or limiting beliefs? Oh, that is such a good question. Um, Cause I do have a lot of fears and I think we all do. Right. And a lot of self-talk. I think being an athlete and you learn, Learn to um, manage yourself through that effectively. Um, I find because I am more of an introvert, um, simple things like if I feel like I'm at a, I can't think, you know, sometimes I'll get stuck. I'll be like, I know this has to be a simple solution. And I like to, in a lot of instances, be able to come with suggestions, right, that are well thought out. Sometimes I get stuck or, Um, feel insecure, like, am I getting to the right place? Um, And for me, because I am introverted, I can think through things and manage things on an hour walk better than I ever could if I sat at my desk for the next eight hours. So I know that works for me. I know that being on a bike ride on a Saturday morning, I might be able to mentally get myself past a lot of that stuff in a way better way than just sitting at my desk. You know, for other people, it's writing things down or, you know, collaborating. So, but those are the things that have worked for me. It's really, okay, I'm conscious enough to know this is happening and now I need to like take some time, time to really, really think through it. But I I don't think that ever goes away. You know, I, how could it? I mean, like, we're all just geared like that. In fact, it shouldn't go away. It's kind of a superpower. You should be a little like that kind of keeps you like, on your game, I think. Yeah, I I think it's so important to know how to like to learn how you can shed that stuff, right? Because I think then there's research that shows that women will hang on to stuff like yes, that's true. And where a guy will just be like, "Oh, it sucked," you know, and I'm gonna go go, you know, go home. Um, so I think knowing whatever whatever it is, and even if it takes an hour or two hours on a bike or whatever, you know, whatever it is, like learning that early and then doing that because I for me that that's the other thing is like I I know a lot of this like I, every time I do yoga I'm like I should do this more often you know yeah. <laughs> but yeah. um but knowing and then really stick doing that sticking to that because it changes it changes everything um so and we we talk about that a lot uh with the the people that we work with because it's like it's such a ra- especially now like it feels like such a radical act to like step away from your computer <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, we almost feel guilty for that, right? Like, oh, I'm not in front of my computer. I'm not working. You know, well, yeah, yeah you are. But acknowledge yeah. that often that's the most productive thing that we can do, right? That, that that's going to make the time that you spend at your computer that much better, which um, I have a lot of opinions about, you know, productivity software, but I think that's one of the biggest risks, you know, is that we yes, just... Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I still time block my week. So yeah. nothing with very limited exceptions, nothing actually proactively goes on my calendar on Fridays. Oh, that's great. And very little on Thursday. So I am using Thursday as, you know, cleanup and getting on top of things. And I really try to have 
you know, Fridays be kind of that quad three time where I'm thinking things things through, you know, relying on outside outside people to talk through things. I mean, it's it's so important to have that. Yeah. Yeah. So walk me through kind of a typical day for you. I mean, I know we just talked about today, <laughs> but yeah. 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 That's a good one. Um, so I have kind of discovered for myself that there really is no work-life balance. There's just perfectly perfect imbalance at any given time, but trying to be a little bit more intentional about that. So my weeks are very structured Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I mean, I really go hard and I get in front of all my teams and my individual directors and just a lot of um, touching base with people, understanding the business and gathering during those first three three days, you know, kind of doing individual SWAT every week. So by Wednesday, I have assessed the business. What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What are our opportunities? One of our threats. And then Thursday and Friday, I can get to work working on those different things. Um, So that's kind of how I think about it and I structure it. And I've kind of gone to a new model week with working out because I was failing so miserably at I'm going to work out every day at this time. You know, it just was life happened. So I look at my calendar every night for the next day and then I decide where it's going to go. Sometimes it goes in the morning. Sometimes it goes at night. Sometimes I sneak it in in the middle of the day. Um, And that seems to be working, you know, much, much better for me. Um, But that kind of like SWAT Monday through Wednesday, and then really addressing what needs to be addressed Thursday and Friday seems to work really well. Cool. I've never heard of that that um, format, and I like it a lot. I think I made it up. Yeah, I know it's good. <laughs> it's just kind of through trial and error has worked well. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you'll you'll have more people doing it after this podcast. So, <laughs> um, okay. I think we've talked a lot. We've, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, oh, tell me about earning the support of mentors and sponsors. Like, it sounds like you've had some really amazing people help you along the way. Um, and I'm sure you mentor many, I'm assuming you mentor a lot of people. Yeah. Um, like, tell me what, what's the best way to, cause uh, whenever we talk about mentors and sponsors, everybody knows it's super important. And the hardest thing to do is to figure out like how to, yeah, how do you do it? Yeah. Right. 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 What, what are your thoughts there? So the first when I um, left Ameriprise and I went to MetLife, um, at Ameriprise, um, they had a really, they built in a mentorship program. Like they really supported, they had, you know, assignment, they had a lot of structure around it. Um, and so I really learned during that period, like if I'm going to make this substantial transition, I really think I have to have not only just an informal group, but I should have a mentor that I pay, you know, that's working with me. Um, And since 2013, I've had, I always have a mentor that I, I literally, I pay to coach and mentor me. But through my transition, when I went from Ameriprise to Met, I actually built that into my transition plan, my compensation and said, I need part of this to be that my compensation includes my mentor who's going to work with me. Um, for the next three years. Um, so that's how I initially kind of transitioned to paying for my own mentorship. Um, and then I just continue to personally invest in having a mentor 
that helps me. Um, and sometimes, you know, I've, I, that could be a, a nutritionist mentor, that could be a business coach. Um, so there's that piece. And then I also have my informal group where, you know, I've, I've just asked people along the way, hey, you're so good. I'm so inspired by you. Would you mind talking to me, you know, every other week for 30 minutes? And people have been gracious and people love, people give, you know, I've had, I have two women that are now retired. Um, so they're about 15 years older than me who mentored me like all the way through. We still get together once a year, um, you know, and it's, it's super cool. Um, and they're always like, Jen, are you mentoring anybody? Because, you know, we put all this time into you. So we want you to also give back. So I, I'd say, you know, my biggest advice would be if you don't have a mentor, A, really think about investing. It's the best investment you can make in yourself. And B, also ask, you know, two people that you really respect, would they mind talking to you for 30 minutes every other week? Mm -hmm. And if you just do those two things, that starts to kind of like build it. Yeah. I think that's such a, I mean, it's, it's a shift. I think to, to, I think it's the right shift to think about that. This is something that you invest in, right. Not in like resources, right. Whether that's, you know, participating in a program like beyond barriers or like actually hiring a coach or a therapist or whatever it is. We invest in so many other parts of our lives. And for so Mm -hmm. many people, it's just sort of a passive expectation that the business is going to invest in us when, and, and this we hear from women all the time. Like I just was, I was sort of like putting my head down and doing the work and assuming that, it, you know, I would get tapped on the shoulder for th- right, which doesn't happen, you know, like we have to navigate our own careers. And we have so. to ask. Yeah, we have yeah. to ask and advocate for ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And coaching and mentoring is an, an important piece of that puzzle. Um, okay. When you look, I guess, two, two questions and then we'll do lightning round. One, when you look back, what's the most important thing mm-hmm. from the last saga era of work and then two when you look forward like what's the biggest thing that you're pondering yeah um so i also got some really good advice early on in my career which i think has served me really well and that was it's very important to have emotions and be emotional in business but every emotion should be intentional So, um, in other words, if you're really, really angry about something, it's okay to be really, really angry, but you should make sure that you're thinking through whether that response is intentional or just like a knee-jerk reaction. And so, when I think about, you know, the last 20 years, the times where I've been really good at mastering that have been coincidentally the times where I actually like jumped up in my career. Like something would happen that would make me angry, like elicit like a really, really strong emotion. And when I was able to be intentional about how I reacted to that, really good things happened. And when I was just knee-jerk reaction, not so great. So like when I think about that, that's kind of like a very positive thing because I have been I carry that with me now. Um and when I look forward. I think if you were to ask me this in like 10 or 12 years, I think a win for me would to be able to say, I really got to know the people that I was leading and I really helped them grow as leaders. And we also grew a business 
in a way that is leaving a really special imprint. Like the when I really think about it, like it's not, it's just not money anymore. Like it's not stuff. Like I have an abundance, you know, in fact, as I get older, I don't really want more stuff. <laughs> I feel like I have an abundance, like I want an abundance of leaving people in a better place and also leaving a business in a better place that's going to continue to help people. That's so cool. Both of those are so valuable. I love the intentional emotion. Um, I'm going to take that with me personally because I could be more intentional <laughs> about, about my emotions. Um, okay, cool. Anything else you want to share that we didn't talk about? This has been so fun. It's such a nice break from the day. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, you've shared so many gems. I'm really excited to share this uh, with everybody. Okay. So lightning round questions. Um, what book has greatly influenced you? Yeah, I made some notes here too, um, because there's so many, but the one that I put down is actually one that I found about two years ago. um, And I think I've read it about 10 times, which I know is a little over the top, but um, it's Fast, Feast and Repeat by Jen Stevens. And it really is just a great book on intermittent fasting. And it's really changed it changed my life for the better. It's changed my health. It's changed my mental clarity. Um, it's helped me just understand a lot of things about how our bodies work, especially as we get older. Um, and it's just been like awesome. Um, I share it with everybody who will listen to me. People are sick of me talking about it, but I just absolutely love the book. Cool. Excellent. Um, do you have a favorite inspiring quote or saying? I do. I do. Um, so my favorite quote is from Coach Pat Summit, who was the head women's basketball coach for the University of Tennessee, passed away young from early onset Alzheimer's. But she used to always say, left foot, right foot, breathe. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And in fact, Candace Parker um, came out with a shoe line that my daughter got the shoes. And she actually put that quote on the on the sole of the shoe. So it's left foot, right foot, breathe. And that just, you know, that ties into that emotional competency piece, that intentional emotion piece um, that has stayed with me. I interned at the University of Tennessee after my first year of law school in their legal department. Um, it's one of the only athletic departments that has their own legal department. It was a really interesting experience, but I got a chance to see Pat Summit firsthand and a huge, huge fan of hers and just just love that quote. I just feel like it just resonates really well with me. That's so, that's so good. Um, do you have a word or a moniker that you use to describe yourself or that you would? I think it's the competitive piece. It really is. <laughs> it's a blessing. <laughs> first. Yeah. No, I think, right. I yeah. think for most of us, it's Achilles heels, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> this is where we go. Yeah. Um, what's one change that you implemented that made your life better? Yeah. I think the intermittent fasting thing has been really a big deal for me. Yeah. And I'm st- it's still a work in progress, by the way, but um, that's okay. You know, and that's one of the things that's also taught me is, that's okay. You know, it's working. Everything's a work in progress. You just have to kind of embrace that. Yeah. I think it's hard to, um, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but I think it's hard to take me a long time to embrace that. It's not that everything isn't like, there's not a peak to everything, you know, right. I mean? it's not, yeah. a, yes. you achieve it and then you move on. It's, there's actually a lot of things that we 
practice perpetually, mm-hmm. right? And it's yes. and that that's the value is the practice, not the accomplishment. Yes. It was a big adjustment for me. The so. process. Yes, <laughs> I know. It's not like you get to the top of the mountain and you're yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> like it's it's you, you know, we all, it's that's like it's tempting. Like it's hard not to yeah. think like that. Yeah. You don't, you don't check yoga off your list, you know? That's right. That's right. (laughs) Um, Okay. And then this is my favorite. What's your walk-up song? Yeah. So this is kind of an unusual one, Um, but it, I just always go back to it. I listen to it all the time when I bike and I run. Um, It's No Roots by Alice Merton from 2017. And she it's it's her story and her story is that she was born in germany her dad her mom was german and her dad was irish and moved like throughout this course of her life like 11 times by the way the song if you don't know it listen to it it's really like the the it's it's very inspiring like just the music and it 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 makes you feel really vibrant right but the the moral of the story is um it's, it's, she just doesn't feel like she has any roots. Like I've got, and some of the words are, I've got memories that travel like gypsies in the night. Um, I've traveled this road a thousand times and a thousand times I've seen this road, but there's no roots, but my home was never on the ground. So like the reason that resonates with me is because I do feel very much like that. Um, My dad was Catholic. My mom was Jewish, kind of this, you know, where do I land growing up in this very small town and then just being like blasted out into the world, moving around a lot. Um, and, and, you know, I never felt like I have roots in one plate, but my roots are my memories, right? My roots are my memories. And as I get older, you know, she talks about as I get older, I like digging holes, hiding things in them. Then I grow old. I'll never refer on that. I won't forget to go find them. And so that's how I feel. I feel like, wow, I have all these cool memories that I planted. That's my home, right? And it's okay that it's not like this physical structure, you know, with these roots. So I, I that's a long-winded answer, but I just love that song. I love it. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. Um, I don't know that song. I'm gonna check it out. Okay, and I, check it out. Secret to me. We need a we need a playlist of all of our podcast guests. Yes, up. yes. There's some good ones that, here. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been so fun. Like it's fun to, to get to know this part of you too. It's <laughs> just as a friend. Um, but I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, it was it was a joy. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.